Hey everybody, some notes about episode 27, which you are about to enjoy, we hope. We had endeavored to record a Nova Open recap section, but over the course of the last month, in our several recording sessions that it took to get this episode recorded, we wound up not recording that section. So as much as we love Nova Open, as much as Carlo and I were thrilled to be there for its 10th incarnation, as much as I enjoyed all of my Kill Team games versus some great opponents that I had never played against before, and as much as Carlo enjoyed playing in the trios, we won't be talking about it on this episode. Also, at around 19 minutes in, we do a book review. It is a spoiler-laden book review, so feel free to skim over that section if you are planning on reading Rob Sanders's Adeptus Mechanicus duo of books, Scatarius and Tech Priest. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in the United States of America. I'm your host, Tim. As always, I am joined by Lavelle and Carlo. Good morning, gents. Good morning. Good morning. Ah, it's nice things to be back in the hall. Okay. Yeah. So it's, 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 been, it's been a really busy couple of weeks for all of us. A lot has happened inside the hobby. A lot has happened outside the hobby. Uh, let's jump right into hobby progress. There's been a lot of cool stuff happening on all of our fronts in that regard, I know. But let, let's jump right in. Um, I'll kick us off. Uh, Nova Open was a couple of weeks ago. That was a big part of the hobby because I got in a bunch of great games, but we'll talk about that in the subsequent section. Uh, with regards to just building painting... Um, after having bumped into Daria at Nova Open, I got re-inspired to visit my Dark Age armies, which had been kind of floundering in this nebulous state of half-painted, somewhat primed, this guy's missing an arm, I don't know what happened to that guy's base, she needs, like, a new haircut. Uh, so oh, I... Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they were just in this box, and I kind of just let them sit there for way too long. So I finally took them all out. I, you know, made a big tabletop surface to say, okay, this is this group, this is this group, this is this group, this is missing this, this is missing that, this is missing that. And I went into my bits box and I got a bunch of stuff and put it all back together again, primed, and now I'm in the process of painting all of my Dark Age armies, which is the starter box plus, like, a pretty big Kukulkani, the Space Aztecs army. And as I was painting them, something really cool occurred to me about Dark Age, which unfortunately I think is a dead game now. I don't think they're going to develop it any further from what I can gather on the interwebs, but... I haven't, like, seen anything from Kulmini or not. Yeah. You know I mean, I guess they have the Game of Thrones board game, but, like, yeah. I really haven't seen it, like, you know, kind of advertised no there is nothing they've been pushing it all the links go to their new web store but there's no dark age on the new web store which is unfortunate oh and the web store has been down for a while like if you try and buy something it'll say like oh it's going to be back up in august yeah that and yeah yeah 917 yeah that and um wrath of kings unfortunately i feel like are just kind of sitting there Falling to pieces. Um, well, guys, if I could just let you know, because on, on one of my other fronts, they are producing a lot of board games. Um, is Cool Mini or not located in um, uh, Atlanta? I don't know where they're based out of. I don't know. That sounds right. Yeah, so I think they, they have yeah. a convention every year. Do, do they still? Do, 
they have a um, I, I, I'll check that out. I think it's cool. Mini or not has a, a a little convention that they have where they play test a lot of games. I could be think, mixing my companies up. No, you're right. They but, did. They they have in the past. Yeah. Right. And so I think a lot of their focus have been on um, the uh, board games. I don't know that they are exactly abandoning the uh, miniature line. I really do like their games. Yeah. Yeah, so one thing I noticed about the Kukulkani Force is that there's these little bits of like like skin turning into stone on some of the human models. And then as they get more and more powerful, more of their bodies turn into stone until they turn into that full-on Cabra Khan, which is like a walking ziggurat kind of a thing, right? Which I never noticed before until I really started to take a good look and started to really try to paint the heck out of those Kukulkani. Just a great little detail that as they become more and more elite and more powerful, more of their bodies become that stone-like flesh stuff, which I'm painting in green uh, on this particular army. It's going to be it's going to be really good looking. I hope I hope it's still around in a couple of months, so there could be new stuff and more people can play it because it is a really good little miniatures game. I feel the same way about Wrath of Kings too. It's a great little miniatures game. Meanwhile, at Nova, um, Atlantis was selling, or no, the company for the, the Bits guy was selling like the starter boxes for like ten dollars a box. And wow. I was, I was, what? yeah, I was behind somebody in line. I was going to buy like the whole stack of Wrath of King stuff because it was ten dollars a box for the starter armies, and then five dollars a box for all the specialists. And this woman in front That's... of me in line just bought the entire thing right in front of me. Oh. <laughs> she bought everything. She like bought like directly, probably, in, front of you, directly in front of me. She bought fifteen boxes oh. worth of stuff, and she spent like seventy dollars. <laughs> That's. That's like, oh man, that's like one of those moments when you're playing a video game and you're so close to beating the boss and that just gets ripped away from you. That's, that's you pretty know? much what it was. I was like, I'm going to buy all this cool stuff. I'll give a box to Carlo. We can get him into the game. But it was not to be. Yeah. These are the instances where well, you need you, a wingman. Thank you, lady in front of I'm sorry, Lavelle. <laughs> this is the time when you need a wingman to distract that other person. <laughs> that's right. Somebody fake a heart attack, please. Is that your snake, man? Quick. <laughs> Um, other than that, I have been working on my Ethereum armies, because while we were at Nova, uh, Carlo, you picked up the newest Ethereum army, so I finally got all of my starter box stuff, which is the Axiom and the Naname, I got them painted, and today I should be able to finish off my Resex, which are like the the steampunk deep sea diving kind of themed uh armies i bought like this Cthulhu-esque. exactly they're yeah they're cool. they're really cool yeah. looking i like them i got the uh there's like a guy with like a half octopus arm and this big kind of spear built into his other hand it's really cool um and he's got like the diver's helmet too right yes like got a really cool yeah. diver's helmet and they have like the little kraken or the squids or whatever they yes. are with the, yeah i got a bunch yeah. of them they're cool guys yeah um i think you got me that box a couple of years ago yeah that's right you bought me that kit uh, i think yeah. from Packs, that's right. Say. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll thank you for that, and I'll look forward to beating you tomorrow when we get a game in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I got this stuff a couple weeks ago from. Uh, it's actually probably more like two months ago now. It's made by AK Interactive. It's an asphalt surfacing, uh, putty paste kind of stuff. It feels like really thick glue, and I did an experiment with it yesterday. Um, you put it on with like a little hobby knife. And it settles relatively level. You can thin it with water if you need to. But it dries to be like a perfect asphalt surface. So I'm going to do all my Ethereum bases in like cracked asphalt and then paint like some fake lines on them and stuff because I think some of the tiles are kind of street scenes like post-apocalyptic street wasteland things. So I'm going to do all my bases so they're consistent with this neat uh, AK Interactive asphalt putty paste. I will 
post a picture to the that's, Facebook if there's that's anything. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it could be cool. Yeah. I think, to see that. I think it'll take a dry brush really well, and I think it'll, like, I could probably paint some stripes and some hazard symbols on it pretty easily because of the way it kind of dries with that rough texture like asphalt does. Hey, I'm kind of interested. Maybe you can help me do, like, a basing for the my Ethereum guys because I want to do something. Help me figure out, like, an idea for it. Something like a little – I've never done, like, a green – the traditional green flocking base. I want to do something very, like, um, deciduous. Awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, while I was at Nova, I did do mix, do some purchases. Um, I picked up uh, from White Metal Games. They had their own line of flocking materials, so I did get a big thing of, uh, like, a quart uh, takeout soup container kind of thing full of their uh, mixed up green flocking. It looks really good. It was inexpensive, too, which was great. Um, <clears throat> in more 40K-related news, I split a box of Shadow Spear with somebody because I wanted the uh, the three Primaris characters, because now, you know, the Iron Hands are getting new stuff released on Saturday. Excuse me for a second, I have to cough. Iron Hands are getting new stuff released this week, so I wanted to get some more um, Primera stuff done, so I can take advantage of, you know, some of the new uh, the new stuff for the the Sons of Ferris Manus. So I got the Shadow Spear box, looks really good. Um, there's a nice little campaign book in there. The Shadow Spear uh, missions are actually really cool. They're somewhat asymmetrical. It's a small, um, I think it's six missions, and they do a little campaign tree you can play through, each with their own stratagems and all kinds of cool stuff. I like that. Uh, so I'd like to play through the the actual book at some point. So it's been a good couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to getting the non-40K stuff done so I can put my uh, remaining Primaris Iron Hand stuff back on my workbench and uh, crank them out because I'm stoked for the new book to come out on Saturday with the uh, that Forge Father, Iron Father guy who looks like an awesome little model. I'm um, going to try to pick up him up on Saturday. And, uh, yeah, kind of retool my list to, to bring in some more Primaris stuff. That sounds great. I'm glad you're on the Primaris train now, Tim. I am. I knew we'd get you. I am. The, those suppressor guys are still really goofy looking. The, you know, the, the jump pack guys with those long, goofy machine gun things, auto cannons. Uh, I think a bunch of them are still goofy, but what are you going to do? I might put different guns in their hands or something, but it is what it is. And there's a new Iron Hands upgrade pack coming out that's Primaris specific, so I got at least some some iron bits I can throw on them to make them look a little more like my my old school Space Marines, but... I'm on board. I'm kicking and dragging, but I'm on board. It is what it is. I think the thing with those models, and I actually kind of like them, but I think they could have varied the poses up a little bit more. I think that's the thing that, like, you know, subconsciously bothers us about them. Like, because all three of them are in that position where their feet are, like, in front of them yes. coming down. Yes. I think if it was, like, one of those guys was like that, and then another guy was kind of like, Coming in with another angle and you have to go to the, to the side a little bit. You know yeah, what I mean? I yeah, think yeah. If they vary the poses a bit. I think we uh, people would have uh, received those better when they came out. But You're probably right. You're there, probably right. There was a yeah. I don't think I'm going to use the flying bases. I'm not a fan of those arced clear plastic flying bases. I think I'll build up some like sector mechanicus ruins so they're like jumping off the top of something, you know, connect them to the ground a little bit. They just said, uh, uh, sounds cool. I think those flying bases are just kind of, kind of goofy. Like, I'd like something a little hmm. more substantial, too. I don't know. I just don't like how you have to glue them to, to those bases, like, to get them to sit on them. Because it's like a little, like, cup that holds onto a round, rounded piece on the suppressor. 
And you can't just like if you're playing a game before painting them, you can't just like set them in there. Yeah, you know what I mean. It has to be to... good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So we'll see. Carlo, what's on up with you? Uh, back from Nova. Uh, <laughs> from Nova, I know we talked about it in the last podcast. I don't know. I I don't think I had done it yet, but I was I managed to go and paint two thousand points of tau in like. Eight to ten days. Two thousand points of tau in eight to ten days. Yeah. You heard it here first. Like it's amazing. That. With work, I didn't take any days off. I was like painting at. I'd get home from work at like eight thirty and paint until like two o'clock in the morning, and then wake up at five for work again. And you know, it was it was rough. I think after Nova, I slept for two days. Like from two, I got back from Nova Friday night worked Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then I just slept all day Tuesday and Wednesday. You had earned it. You had earned it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was really happy painting that army, though. Uh, it was good to take a break from Marines for a little bit, because all I had painted were Marines for a while. Um, I really loved painting the drones. It was something that was very quick to paint, and it's kind of one of those like instant gratification models where you, you know, you don't have to put so much time into painting it. It looked really good. Um, the riptides took a bit longer, but I was also really happy with them. Now, none of this stuff is completely done. Um, I still need to do, I think some, um, like take a micron pen to the gaps where you would normally shade. Oh yeah. I was going to yeah. do that on Fur's recommendation. And sure. then, uh, I did it with one of the crisis suits and I like it. So I'm going to tr- try that. And then I have to finish um, doing uh, some squad markings and stuff like that. But um, um, so Nova, uh, I was really happy with that. Uh, all the, the vendors they had available at Nova this year. Um, I was sad that KR Multicase couldn't make it. I heard they dropped like last minute. They had like an issue with traveling or something. So I was really looking forward to getting some custom foam for my towel, but it uh, didn't quite work out. So I'm going to have to order that. Um, they were a good company to work with last year, though. Like they had shipped something that they didn't have at Nova to my house and they got stolen off my doorstep and they for free sent another one. So um, one of the things I picked up at Nova, I picked up a six by four fat mat finally uh, from Table War. Uh, but I also picked up three kill team mats, one for myself and two for Lavelle. Yay. Um, uh, I got to get those to you, Lavelle, soon. I haven't had a chance to drop them off at the locker yet. I picked up uh, some squad markings from a company called Squad Marks. Um, So when I realized I wasn't able to do squad markings on the drones, and it makes it really harder when you're running three large units of drones to keep track of them all because you want to, like, daisy chain them and use them to um, kind of screen the rest of your army so that you can get for the greater good off on everything so that they're within six inches of all your units that are stretched across. And I didn't want to make any permanent marks that I would want to change later. So I ended up um, buying these things and they're actually really useful. It's like a little, uh, like a frame of a base that clips onto your base and you can get them in all different sizes. And then there's two little tabs that uh, stick out from either side and you just paint them whatever color you want. So they worked really well. I don't know if you saw their table. It was like a little table tucked in the back where the um, Warhammer Conquest table was last year. Yeah. Um, the 
other thing I bought, I picked up some uh, Toledo. The Toledo Game Store is the one that sells all those. They have all those bins. Yes, they had the Wrath of King stuff. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. So they have a they had a whole bin of transfer sheets, and the new Tau stuff doesn't have the old transfer sheets with it. With all the it, like the new transfer sheets only are Viorla sets. So um, luckily, Toledo Game Store had like ten a stack of like Tavis trenches each. I just picked them all up and it was like three dollars total. I was like super stoked about that. That's pretty good. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Carlo, if you need more transfer sheets, let me know. I, I'm sure, and I'm going to talk this a little bit more in my hobby progress. I, I'm sure I have some too. Do you have Tau transfer sheets? Don't question me. <laughs> Simply accept that I do have Tau transfer sheets. Why do I feel like I'm going to see like next next month we're going to be like Lavelle's like so I built a ten thousand Tau apocalypse army. I bought fifty Vanguard boxes and then. <laughs> Slow down. I can't write it all down. 50. <laughs> Otherwise, I picked up um, some more of uh, those life counters from Broken Egg for the – Oh, yeah. The spinning, the, the, the spinning magnetic ones. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, I really like yeah. those. I don't – I'm not in love with the designs that they have on them. I thought that the little pictures are kind of like not very – I, I guess they try to they're try to appeal to a bunch of different game sets, so some of them don't quite match like the 40k aesthetic. But um, which I'd like to see maybe they come out with a few different designs. But the functionality of them is amazing. So. Yeah, they are good. Yeah, I like that. You know, I don't like using D12s or whatever D10s or whatever they put out on the wound counters um, normally because they tend to you you go to move a model and the dice just rolls over and you're like, oh, what was this guy at? Yeah, or like you. I don't like having that lack of transparency between me and my opponent either. Where like, like maybe I knock my dice over. I know exactly what it was, but now I'm like, oh, I, you know, it, it was definitely a ten. I'm, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want I have that to, question to come up. You know, you know, I I've been debating on getting them, but after Colin put me hip to stitch markers, I I, I can't leave them. Those are really good, too. Yeah. yeah. They're cheap, and it too. Was, yeah, work right in the AC more, right into the knitting and crochet section. Yeah. Grabbed a little pack with a bunch of them in there. Yeah. They, they can tough. accommodate any number. And I've got them now, so my red are my heavy vehicles, my blue are my medium vehicles. Uh, you know, it's just been great. That's perfect, actually. Hmm. What should I go on that route? <laughs> <laughs> well, too late. Uh, yeah. yeah, you're um, in now. Yeah, I'm in now. I'm fully uh, bought in. I can't like just have a couple of fish markers and a couple of broken egg things now. I need to go like fully Can broken we talk egg. About you. <laughs> um, other than that, I'm trying to think. So I picked up a couple of models from the GW store. I picked up a not for myself. But I picked up Aurelius for for Lamana, you know, and uh, um, I picked up. Uh, I think uh, I think that's it, man. I think that's all the purchases I made this year. Yeah. And the Ethereum and the Ethereum starter for the oh, um, yeah the wardens. Warden, wardens of what's the name of that? What's the full name of that group? The wardens of Tianra. Yeah. yeah, I think that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. I can't read the font <laughs> on the on the book. I have the book too, <laughs> uh, but. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh. And I also picked up some terrain, some three D printed terrain that I sent you a picture of. Oh yeah, so that stuff it. looks good. Yeah, is it, it's three D printed and it's scaled for forty K. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, so it's scaled for 40k. It looks almost like if for an, I'll post a picture on the Instagram, but for the listeners, uh, it almost looks very Starcrafty, if I could describe it as anything. Um, it's from a company called Epic Questmaster that was selling. They had a big table. They had a lot of really beautiful terrain. They had this like bastion uh, terrain set where or it's like a not a bastion, but like a a fortress, and there were doors on it that would raise and lower like a drawbridge almost to get into. So it was like it was like living terrain almost, which was really cool. Um, these pieces uh, that I picked up, there's like a couple uh, containers. There's these things that look like Protoss from uh, Starcraft. They have like a little uh, um, jar with an alien in it that you could put like a tea light in and make it look really cool. Um, so I'm going to do that. And it's all 3D printed to pretty, pretty high quality. Um, I'm interested to see what, and I don't know if you guys could chime in on this, if you've purchased 3D terrain before, but you know how they have those, every, every uh, single piece of like 3D printed whatever has like those fine little lines in it because that's how it gets built right because they put layers and layers when the 3d printer builds so uh, i'm interested to see what that looks like after it's painted so let me just say uh joe joe capina mm -hmm. he is, and it might be worth it to, to have him on the show give us a little segment on 3d printing he prints out an entire um in, uh, line of 3d terrain specific i guess it's specifically for infinity and a lot of the stuff that we use at Red Caps, and you can see some of his stuff even up at Gamers Heaven, I believe. It's really, really good. When it, it I, I don't, I mean, derogatory when I say this, but it doesn't look like it was 3D, 3D printed. It looks just like terrain. Mm -hmm. And um, I think I feel as if 3D printing is changing or has the ability to change some of our hobby aspects, and it's worth a discussion. Yeah, I think that'd be cool to bring him in. We've got like a long list of uh, guests we have not yet asked to be on the show. I think we need to bring on at some point. Yeah, right? but it's not because but... they're turning us down. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> hey, Carlo, can you talk a little bit about the competitive team? Oh, yeah. So um, my other little side project is getting a competitive team going in Philadelphia. Um, so... Right now, we have four people. Uh, Sasha, who's um, we've talked about him on the podcast before, but is like probably the I want to say like the best player we have out of out of Philadelphia right now. He's I, he's won either the Invitational or the GT. I can't remember which one around four or five years ago at Nova. Um, he's always getting like best painted, so he's like a really well rounded hobbyist. You know, he's got. He's a very uh, intelligent gamer. He's, you know, um, great at painting, very uh, willing to teach people, which is a great asset for him to be on the team because I've already had a few games with him where he's really taught me something. Uh, we have uh, Grant, who's a fantastic gamer, always uh, very, like, thinking creatively about his list. He's, like, very high energy and very positive and he's always getting like best sportsmanship awards so it's really great to have him on the team and we have uh leo who uh is like a really also again very creative guy um has been really great at 
you know, having input on what we're doing with the team so far. And uh, we actually, he recommended like, a few things for us, like some, uh, our, our uniform is going to be like these um, motorcycle vests, like patch vests. So we're going to put patches from the different events we go on and stuff like that. So it's, I think it's going to be something you don't normally see. And we bought these like concealed carry vests so we could stick our dice and <laughs> measuring tape and stuff in all the pockets. Oh, boy. Be, like, very, even even uh, very useful, you know. <laughs> um, but um, I think we're looking to maybe include some more people on the team. I'm not sure how, lar- how big we want to make it. I don't think they're. 10 or should be really a limit to it. But um, if anybody's interested, let me know. And uh, um, I'm, we're intending to hit probably definitely LVO this year. Um, we're looking at going to uh, a few of us are going for a battle for salvation soon. I'm not going to be able to make it because my schedule, but uh, and then some other major events next year. And obviously we're going to play the GT at Nova next year and whatnot. So. You, you know, I thought about joining the team, um, uh, Carlo, but I don't think I'm a good enough player. Well, Lavelle, yes. you don't have to be a great player. You just have to be willing to learn. And I think you are a great player, actually. I've seen you play. We played our team games together. So I think you are at least as good as me, if not better. So, um, uh, I, I, I th- I, you know, and you, you guys practice every other Monday? We do. All right. I'll talk to you about that offline. Okay. Sounds good. So I'll pull up with a truck saying, okay, I bought a couple of armies. Uh, which <laughs> <laughs> This catalog of lists right here. Uh, 10,000 points of tail. And that's I, something like... I have an electronic I, robotic model retriever. So you, <laughs> you have to have a cool acronym for it, though. Like E-M-R, you know, electronic model retriever. I'll let our cryptic name it. And it's got to have like a personality, too. You know, so it's like, oh, yeah, and jokes are like, oh. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, that's another thing we really thought of, though, is like we all wanted to kind of maybe not right now, but at some point put money into like a pool and have like community armies that the team can share because a lot of teams are doing that. You know what I mean? We're like, you're encouraged not only to know your own army obviously but other armies for the sake of competitiveness and then that opens avenues for you to also play other armies so if there's like you're playing like a team tournament you don't want to be limited to only being able to offer one thing to the team right so like if i could play tau and space wolves and maybe even learn eldar and you know something else like i can switch it up a lot so if like we 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 can have a better chemistry and, you know, so that's like your owning every army in the game will kind of remind me of that. So <laughs> <laughs> way do I get to my part? <laughs> um, I think that's all I got for hobby. Oh yeah. Other than, um, so a little bit more hobby progress. I'm going to start painting the wardens, but not until I paint, um, Carl was very, uh, I don't know if anybody knows Carl, but he was nice enough to give me a Yavara when I started playing my Tau Army. So I'm going to, in return, paint a scrap jet for him because he's playing Orcs now. So, yeah, so I'm going to start working on that next week. I want to make it nice and uh, clean for him. I'm going to try and take the same 
diligent approach that I took to my town. So uh, it might be a couple of weeks, but um, I'm looking forward to that. But uh, what about you guys? So for me, <clears throat> I've been I've been following these new Space Marine codexes very, very closely um, as part of my uh, entire Know Your Enemy initiative. And so I, I'm really, really liking the diversity that I'm seeing there. I've, I picked up all the new um, codex supplements and I'm really liking it. I haven't had a chance to, I guess I did play one game against the Space Marines and I won that game, but it was a really good game seeing all the things that they, they can do now. So I've been following that. I have finally, finally, finally made the move and joined the Kill Team League up at Gamer7. Um, and I have been playing Kill Team. And I fault the two of you guys for letting me wait. Because I, I always like to shift blame. It is pretty good. It is not what I had originally thought. There's a lot of, there's far more tactical nuances than it appears on the outside. So I've been playing my Necrons in the Kill Team format, and it's been really, really good. I've been having a lot of fun with that. How many Necrons do you get for 100 points? What's your list been like? Um, we've been playing 125 points. Oh, okay. And I've got about 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, about 10 models. Okay. About 10 models. And um, the wound roll, which really surprises people, when you the Necrons, instead of their reanimation program, Pro, pro protocols. When you make that wound roll, if you, if you roll a six, the necron is unharmed. Oh, okay. Comes back. It's pretty good. Yeah. I like it. Cool. Um, I have started the process. I am patiently waiting. I don't care about your judgment. I will be building a Sisters of Battle army. Yes, I was hoping you'd say that today. <laughs> I would. I would. Add, I am absolutely going all in on those. Those guys. I love the models. I like what I'm seeing so far. I was uh, fortunate enough. I did not attend the Nova this year. This is the first year I've missed the Nova in probably six years. Um, but I was able to score that new canoness that they released there. Nice. And so I'm, I am going to be building a Sisters of Battle Army. I'm patiently waiting. Awesome. That box I, is beautiful that they put out too. Like just even just the, just the box art. You know, I like that they threw the whole army in one box. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it really easy to, for people to pick up. Yeah, the new art style looks really good too. Yeah. So, um, has I also picked up Combat Arena? I'm working on getting those models built. It's a very light game, but I'm interested in trying that out. Um, I've been liking the smaller games that um, Games Workshops have been putting out, um, and I'm also waiting to pick up the Aeronautica game. Oh, okay. Have you guys been following that? I have. I have. I saw the demo of it at Nova this year. It, I didn't. It didn't strike me as something I wanted to get into. I like the models. There was just something about the scale and the setting, and it, it didn't grab me on first blush. No. Right. I, it's a, uh, This is a simplification, what I'm getting ready to say. It's a smaller game. It's a simpler game, but I really like the models, so I'm going to do that. I am also um, uh, I am also, I also got a chance to play a very large 4,500-point, uh, it might have been 5,000-point, Necron versus Eldar Yanari game. And um, I actually won that game at the end of huh. turn. Yes, <laughs> at the end of turn three. I mean, I my army had been devastated. Um, but at the end of turn three, because I played the mission, um, we had deduced that there was no way that the um, that my opponent could catch up. It's the one where you give three intel points to characters. 
and there's a point at the middle, and you can upload the intel point. And I just had too many points, and I killed two of his uh, his intel holders, and there was no way to catch up. But it was really, really, a really, really good game. I played. I had an opportunity to play with my terrain. I have the large Necron terrain, um, and I played with the uh, the big, not the obelisk, the Tesseract Vault. And you know, turn so- one, he destroyed the Tesseract Vault. He destroyed my monolith, but. Those were those both of those played right into my strategy. He had sunk all his shooting into getting those two models. And when the I had a, a stratagem that when the uh, the uh, monolith gets destroyed, you can automatically deploy a unit. And I deployed yeah, is this the against unit. Mike's elder. Or, no, sorry. no, no. This is a, a woman named An- 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 Antoinette. Uh, OK, gotcha. but it was really, really good. And, and it was it was a good tactical game. And in the middle of the game. She asked, "Wait, are, are you are you grumpy?" Because I was sitting there. I said, "Oh no, I'm doing math." <laughs> she said, "Because it looks like you're getting ready to get table." I said, "No, I think on the next term I'm going to win this game." She was like, "What what, what math are you doing?" <laughs> and then afterwards, that's exactly what happened. It wow. was a really really good tactical game. I, I liked it. Sweet. Um, you know, what, this is the 17th of of, of of September. This weekend, there's a tournament. Um, they have a monthly tournament over at um gamers have and i'm contemplating whether or not i'm going to go there and what i'm going to play it's funny you guys might not follow it but i follow it closely the custodies got an adjustment um to their their beta rules stopped being beta rules and they came up with some adjustments and it nerfed like my favorite telemann it did a lot of nerfing of some models oh yeah they changed the stat line on the gun too didn't they they, they did. like increase the points and then change they how the guns did. work but i still think that um um, and this this might be controversial. I think when people build lists that are tricksy and they 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 pivot around one thing, like the three Kaladis lists, I mm-hmm. played against that, um, and it's hard to beat. But that's a one trick pony. And so when they they finally scaled it back and nerfed it, my army and my play style is not impacted because I have other pivots in the army to go to. So I was talking to a couple of players, and they were complaining. I was like, eh, these things happen, but my army's still ready. So I'm thinking about custodies, taking custodies there. On an off note, um, I've been playing, you know, you guys know I play Infinity. Infinity had some changes with the newest season that they released that's pretty good. I mean, they are, for example, there are weapons in 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 the genre, and they're supposed to be banned, but everybody uses them. But now you can get caught using them with the rules and give your opponent a victory point for it. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> There's a four core model that nobody ever uses, and it's like a reporter on the battlefield. And that's the hilarious. Model, she takes a picture. Look what they did. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, and in, in, in Infinity, the shotgun is one um, one such thing that's I don't know why it's banned, but it is. But there's something somebody put on the Infinity list. And this is daily news, and it says an SAS officer killed five ISIS fighters in seven seconds with a shotgun. Well, now we see why it's banned. <laughs> it's a pretty effective weapon, and so um, I like it a lot. So I'm going to be getting some more Infinity play in. But the, for the rest of this year, I'm trying to get more Infinity play in. In addition to that, I found a group in Berks, and it, it's a little in, in Montgomery County that plays a lot of bolt action. And I don't get a lot of chance to play my bolt action, but I really, really love it. I went to I played bolt action at Infinity last year, and um, I got the Prisoner of War award, 
which means I did so terribly. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> I love but that I, that award exists. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and so I'll, I'll be doing more on that. So right now, a lot of my focus is on kind of filling out a couple of armies, waiting out for, for Sisters of Battle. And I think I, I've been really busy with a lot of other things, but I haven't played a lot. But I'm going to get some more games in soon. So, uh, Lavelle, I wanted to ask also back to the Apocalypse game. How large of a, of a table do you normally play on? Do you play on the 6x4 for that, or do you step it up to 8? So I don't, I don't think you need to go to 8 until you get beyond 5,000 points. We played on a 6x4, and we just happened to get Hammer and Anvil. You know, the two short edges deployment. Mm -hmm. And my um, my tomb citadel is exactly 24 inches. So that, you know, I put my tomb citadel down and everything beyond it is good. Um, it, it, it did not, I would say the terrain, playing on a small table at 4,500 points, two things. One, the game is not, is faster than you think, but you know. You're not playing an orc player. I wasn't playing. You know, that could change the game. <laughs> 4,500 um, points of boys. Could you imagine? It, it requires <laughs> engagement early. And the, 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 the earlier you engage, the faster the game will go. Because you're going to be eliminating units. Now, the tomb piece that I played with, I think it's 700 points. I had a lot of points in there. And I was like, this is a bit much. But I played it anyway because I, I hardly get to play it. But it really did make a difference. I said, now I see why this is 700 points. Everything sitting on it gets a five-up envelope. And it's got some great weapons. And, you know, he said, you know, once I started shooting, since he put everything into the, uh, the test rack vault, the, the Tomb Sentinel can delete units in one turn. Oh. Is that a Forge World model? It is a Forge World. It's one of those Forge World terrain pieces. And it's got some crazy ability. Even if you got guys in the in the um, back of the tomb, they can just keep coming out. And there's something about one of the sides of the uh, tomb world. You really can't charge up it. It's too high. And so you got. I had my. And in addition to that, I had my um, my my immortals, and it just came to me in the game, right lined up on the edge. So there's no space for them. And because it's higher than three inches, they can't engage them. That makes oh, sense. Yeah. yeah, I played that I think you have to. You have to be, I mean, to assault, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you have to be in your move within an inch of an enemy model. So I don't think the, like the six inch vertical coherency rule plays into that. So if they wanted to charge you, they would have to get up on there next to you. Right. You know, at least one model. So that is correct. That's correct. Have has have either of you guys been following this psychic awakening? I have read some of the posts on Warhammer community. I am not totally crystal clear on what it is. I know they're releasing specific models and specific rules for a ton of armies that have to do with the psychic phase. I take it, but how do you how do you what is it? So, fill us in. Uh, at first, people were thinking it was going to be endless spells, like from Age of Sigmar. Um, for but they they specifically said it was not. Then they said that it will give something to every faction, which didn't. I, I can't understand how they would give something to the Necrons. So maybe they give them more gloom prisms or some other some I don't know. And then how do they give something to the Tau? But it's supposed to give something to every faction. I've been I've been watching it very closely. So, 
I feel like with Tao, they'll probably give Ethereal something. Or, like, if I were to, like, something that I think would be cool that not necessarily that they would do would be to give, maybe make a drone that has, uh, like, a null ability. So not necessarily give them a psychic power, but give them, like, anti-psychic um some kind of anti-psycher rule, you know, kind of like how the, the sisters, um, what are they called? The, uh, where are the sisters to do that? Acts of faith. Yeah, yeah. So do something like that, but have it be like, like a lore wise, like a technological, um, hold on like, a second, Carlo. Yeah. I said acts of faith, sisters of battle. You might've been thinking about the sisters of silence. Who yes. Negate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it'd be like kind of like a Sisters of Silence ability, but you know, drones could emit like a a subsonic uh, sound or something like that that uh, disrupts psychers. You know what I mean? So I think something like that would be cool. You know, another thing I didn't mention, I I I wanted, I started building my really really putting some attention to my Age of Sigmar. Seraphin army and I went out and I was able to find a deal and I got all of the endless spells built and painted and I have to tell you those those models uh, even if you don't use the endless spells those are some incredible models those, they, those, I, I was really impressed with them they are really cool looking like the big face fireball thing is really cool and there, there's a, oh there's, yeah there's a bunch of great ones this tornado the bone was that like a bone tornado or yes. something like that or oh, hammer tornado <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, the other thing I forgot to add, I have been getting a lot more games in of uh, War Machine. War Machine is going through a big shift in the meta, as well as a big shift in the storyline, and it's been pretty interesting. So I've gotten a lot, there's a lot of new players getting into it at Gamers Heaven, and so we've gotten a couple of games in there. It's been pretty good. I've been enjoying it. War Machine is a, you know, it scratches a different itch than 40K, just like Infinity does. Yeah, so I saw some of those models that um, at Gamers Heaven that were on display of the troll. Were they the ice blood? No, no, the, the troll bloods. The troll bloods. Troll bloods. Yeah, those are They're beautiful. Really cool. Oh my god! Whoever painted those, oof, did a great job. Yeah, when you look at those models, the only thing that comes to your mind is witchcraft. <laughs> witch. <laughs> So how does that game play? I'm interested to know how that game is really played because I see people playing it sometimes at Red Caps, and it's like there's very little terrain involved. You know, it seems like very flat, small pieces of terrain on the table. So right? they have so. the, the general thing is you, with the game, you generally play with flat terrain. It's not as visually appealing. Sometimes when I play with with my crew, we we play with three D three D terrain instead of flat flat terrain. But the the deal is. You want to be able to get your model on the terrain so you could tow the model in without having to make it wobble and fall over. I think that's what they're thinking. And there's zones that you match. But I, I prefer, the, even though I have the flat terrain, um, I prefer to play with 3D terrain, an actual hill, an actual building. But, that, that's, but how it plays is a little different. So there's always a scenario, and you can win on scenario points, but always the Warcaster acts like the king in a chess game and if you kill mm -hmm. a warcaster you know you're gonna win and so people when they build lists when they go after their opponent but that's what they're trying to do they're going to say am i going to do an assassination win or am i going to win on, on scenario and those have different play styles i have a model i have an army that is beautiful 
It just it's an assassination army, and once it pulls its trick, very few things can survive. I've never not assassinated with this army. It's so good, I hardly ever play it. And no one that I know <laughs> play me against that army because it has different tricks to overcome everything, but it's pretty good. That sounds like fun. I I, I think I'd be interested in trying that sometime. But, I, uh, believe me, I got more than enough pieces I can put together a small game for you to kind of just check it out. The smallest game is called either Mangled Metal or um, uh, I can't remember the other term, whether it's Hordes of War Machine, which have different game mechanics but fit together very nicely. And you, it's just Warcasting is a King of the Hill type game. I, I would try an educational game for sure. Yeah, but uh, Carlo, let me just tell you something. If I had my choice to recommend a new game and it was between War Machine or Wrath of Kings, my recommendation would absolutely be Wrath of Kings. I love the Wrath of Kings models. Yeah. And they're very cheap right now, apparently. Yeah. So. <laughs> Tim, you know that, that water, that water, uh, I can't remember what they're called. Um, it's not Technus. The water faction. Oh, the Hadros? Yes. Yeah. My bro- I had given my brother, because I had gotten some deal, and I grabbed him up, and I gave him my brother. He had just sent them out, took them all back, and got them painted up. They look beautiful, man. Nice. Yeah, the, the models are great. The rules are fun. I'm, I'm surprised more people weren't into that when it was still in production, but I, I hope I, it comes I back. Like I, hope, I hope somebody I does feel like it was a marketing it. thing. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, I feel like that, yeah, they just, their models are exceptionally beautiful. And it's hard to believe that the games don't garner more attention. Be, uh, like, due to. That being, you know, like nobody's going to look at those models and be like, I don't like those models. You know what I mean? So it's got to, and the rules are pretty solid. I know I like the Dark Age rules. So I'm just wondering why they're not more successful with their miniatures games. And I think Lavelle kind of hit on the head. I think it's uh, maybe like a, like a marketing issue. You know, they need to figure out how to get out to broader uh, consumer base. Something like that. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Totally. (laughs) Cool. With that, we will take a short break. We will come back. Stick with us. Welcome back, Section 4, Future History. Today we are looking ahead and taking a look back at the Assassin Houses, the Officio Assassinorum. So we have a bunch of copy written here that we came up with. We have a little bit of, of uh, kind of fluff talk, a little bit of, of uh, tactical talk. Uh, let's jump right in. These are the four houses of the Officio Assassinor, meaning there are four different kinds, four different styles of assassins at work in the Emperor's name in the 41st millennium. Let's start this off with a quote, No world shall be beyond my rule. No enemy shall be beyond my wrath. That quote is attributed to the Emperor, and I think it's included here when we're talking about the Officio Assassinorum, to speak to the fact that there are things that the Emperor needs more than the Imperial Guard and more than the Adeptus Astartes to handle. He needs more than the Inquisition sometimes, or maybe not. Maybe more is the wrong word, right? But maybe it's, a, it's, it's another option, right? Sometimes loud, sometimes in stealth. The, delth del- the death dealt. That's a tongue twister. Sometimes in stealth, the death dealt by the four houses of the Officio Assassinorum always sends a clear 
message. The emperor has found you wanting. They are often deployed alone as they have been trained to operate in hostile situations behind enemy lines without any support whatsoever. In the 41st millennium, they have been tasked to assassinate officials at the upper levels of the Imperium's bureaucracy, which naturally puts everyone on edge and stretches the fact that no one is safe from Imperial, from imperial assassins. Now, I wrote this a little bit ago, so but I might be jumping ahead a little bit too far, but I'm pretty sure that means that they have assassinated one of the High Lords of Terra in the past. No one is safe from the assassins. Therefore, they have absolutely. Hey, let me just jump in. They have absolutely um, assassin, um, um, assassinated high lords, and at one point in time, there was a little bit of tit for tat assassin wars, and that's why they changed the law. And now you need a specific number of votes in order to deploy the assassins. Gotcha. So it can't just be my friends, my assassin friends versus your assassin friends. Yeah. <laughs> well, it could be, but it wouldn't be sanctioned. <laughs> well put. So let, let's dive into each uh, school. Uh, there are four major ones, and there are several lesser or defunct houses as well. So, so these are called schools. They're called houses. They're called clades. They are called temples. I'll take the first one here, which is the Calidus Assassin. This is the ultimate double agent infiltrator. The Calidus Assassin can strike its killing blow without the target knowing they are being hunted. They are masters of infiltration and espionage. The Calidus assassin has been trained in the use of polymorphine, a potent blend of narcotics, hormones, and growth enhancers that allows them to change the shape of their faces and bodies. This ultimate camouflage allows them to appear as another race or sex, or even as a humanoid Xenos imposter. Using these skills, the Calidus can get in intimately can get intimately close with their target to assure the success of their kill. A famous Calidus from the lore that pops into my mind is Melindi, M-E-H apostrophe L-I-N-D-I, I think, which is one of the characters from three very early 40K novels by Ian Watson, who wrote the first 40K novel, Space Marine. But Ian Watson wrote, wrote a trilogy that's now called The Inquisitor Wars. And in there, in The Inquisitor's retinue, is a Calidus assassin who can change herself to look like a, I think, a gene stealer. I think. Something crazy like that. But this polymorphine stuff is super potent. They are the, oh, it makes them the ultimate double agent infiltrator. Now, Lavelle, I know you have at least one to five Calidus assassins on the board at any given time in any given game, whether or not they come into play. They're hiding out there somewhere. So from a tactical point of view, from a gameplay point of view, what can you tell us about the Calidus assassins? Uh, Tim, that information is classified. <laughs> Let's move on then to the so, other <laughs> So, Tim, there's a couple of things about this assassin. I, I own all four assassins. This is the only assassin that I only own one of. I own three of all the other ones. And all assassins in the game on the table are amazing. Let's talk about some of the things that makes this particular assassin really, really good. On turn one, if it's in your army... At any given time, she can use Reign of Confusion. And that means on turn one, during the first battle round, not turn one, during the first battle round, each time your opponent spends, a command, spends command points on a stratagem, you roll a dice. On a four plus, they have to spend one more extra command point or everything that they've spent is lost. That's a pretty powerful, powerful tool. 
and it makes them churn through uh, command points at a higher rate. Now, what's that rule called? One more time. Reign of confusion. Reign of confusion. So one additional command point spent, and it makes it harder to get some things. Yeah. Right. So let me let me tell you something else. Now this is on the first battle round, so you can't use it on uh, stratagems used prior to the game. You know what I'm saying? When you put things in deep strike and things like that. Now, the other ability that I like this one really for, I don't find this to be, other than that, a particularly strong assassin. That might be why I only own one. But the weapon that I like the most is the Neural Shredder, which has a 9-inch range. You roll 3d6, and you compare it to the unit that you're shooting at's leadership, the highest leadership in there. If If your 3d6 is more than their leadership, they suffer d3 mortal wounds. All assassins can target characters, even if they're not the closest units. So that can be really, really good in, in some pinch plays. What I really like the model for, secondly, beyond that one, is the polymorphine ability. During deployment, you set it up in disguise, they say, instead of placing it on a battlefield. But then when you deploy it, you can deploy it D6 plus 3 inches away from enemy models. So you know how everybody's used to screening so you can't get that nine inches? You can get that assassin in there because that could be four inches away. You follow that math, everybody? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I have used the, that, that particular assassin to tie up some of those units um, on turn two, some of those units that they were using to shoot artillery at me with. It's been really good. And all assassins have a four-up invuln, which makes them very, very survivable. And she has five wounds and five attacks. And a normal seven-inch moves like most assassins. So I really like this assassin a lot. What What is her close combat like? Um, the Neural Shredder that I talked about is the Salt one. You can choose between – she has five attacks. And you can choose between a Phase Sword, which is Strength User, which her strength is four, minus three AP, two damage, but you can't take invulnerable saves. Nice. That's pretty yes. great. With five attacks, yeah. that's good. With yeah. five attacks, that's right. So you could you could easily end up doing ten damage on a model. And the other one is Poison Blades, which is only minus one um, AP, one damage. But every time the bearer fights, it can make one additional attack with the weapon. And the weapon always wounds anything but vehicles on a three plus. She's pretty badass, the Calidus Assassin. She is. But let's talk about more. What do you have next? Uh, I guess I'll read the Aversor next. Picture Solid Snake from Metal Gear hopped up on rage-inducing chemical stimulants equipped with cybernetic implants and exotic weaponry. Then put that Solid Snake in the middle of a 20-strong band of chaos-deranged rebels who are intent on causing trouble for the Imperium on some backwater agri-world. Now, picture that Aversor slash Solid Snake kicking down their door and tearing one rebels arms off and using those arms to kill the other 19 rebels that's pretty much what the aversers are all about shock and all smash and grab and kill them all with a great soundtrack playing like brutal truth bolt thrower or you know slayer i always think these guys have a soundtrack going for some reason whenever i see the aversor model i'm like yeah that is a heavy metal that's a heavy metal fan right there and, and they are rocking out in that little headset something is happening in their mind they're just going buck wild and there's some heavy metal playing yep <laughs> Yeah, they look, uh, you know, they've got that skull 
um, helmet, which yeah. is pretty badass. Yeah, there's uh, definitely somebody who rides a Harley Davidson on their off mm-hmm. hours. He yeah. he he kind of looks a little bit like like uh, what's his name? Um, Ghost uh, Ghost Rider. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, Although for you sure. couldn't remember Ghost Rider, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my brain's all fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> So Lavelle, I know you you do like the Aversa a lot. So the Aversa is great for chewing through models or groups of models. Orcs, um, it's great. Orcs, cultists. A couple of things about again, they're coming with the um, the four up and vulnerable save. He has an executioner pistol, which is a pistol four, and you it's AP one, strength four, AP one one damage, but you can reroll fail wounds for against infantry models. This is the one thing that he also has that gets people by surprise. He's got a four-inch melter bomb, which is strength eight, minus four, D6 damage. And you can re-roll fell wound rolls for this weapon if the target is a vehicle. Damn. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, so when he, gets in, when he gets in your backfield, he's going to be a problem. Now, Neural Gauntlet, where you can re-roll fell wound rolls for the weapon. This is his close combat, which will give him a – it'll be at a strength five. Minus one AP, one damage. And if you have a tougher target, he has a power sword where he it's strength user, which is four, minus three AP, and one damage. Now, he has six. Uh, he, a weapon skill and ballistic skill, all the assassins have the same thing, two. Two plus. Um, he has six wounds and six attacks, which makes him really, really potent. But that's not really what makes him good. There's a couple of things. When he dies... Uh, when he reduced the serial room, you roll a D6 for each enemy model. That's changed in this edition. Only enemy models that are within six inches of him and on a so four plus. I thought say, the data sheet says enemy units. I'm sorry. Six inches. Did they change it to model? No, it's enemy oh, okay. units. Right. Okay. It used to be for everybody, including friendly. Any, it used to be for units. Now it's just enemy units. And on a four plus, the unit suffers D3 mortal wounds. Here, here's the thing that I really like about him. Frenzine. When he charges, he rolls 3d6 instead of 2d6. In addition to that, remember I told you he had six attacks? When he charges, you add two to his attack characteristic. So now he's up to eight. Now, a couple of That's things. really nasty. He's crazy. Yeah, a of attacks, <laughs> still cannot charge if he's more than 12 inches away. Ah, uh, okay. Yes, but right. So that's that's just to get you kind of around, like you can put yourself around enemy units and like hit something that's behind a, like a, a screen. So really, now, you know? this if you imagine imagine for example a unit of twenty orc boys, right? He charges them, and this re- and he's got eight attacks. Everybody remember that number? He's hitting on twos. And, you know, probably re-rolling his wounds with his neural gauntlet. Okay. Now, he has Killing Rampage. Each time an enemy model is slain as a result of an attack made with a melee weapon by the model, he can immediately make one additional attack against the same unit. That's awesome. (laughs) These additional attacks cannot themselves generate additional attacks. And then he can consolidate up to six inches instead of three inches. That's pretty dirty. He's like a bowling ball gone gone awry. <laughs> tell you something. There is a stratagem that will allow him to fight again. So <laughs> it, he could theoretically chew through sixteen, right, <laughs> and then pile in 
and get another 16. That's amazing. Yeah, I like the reverse. The, <laughs> the other thing that I like about him is in Sentinel Ray. Anytime he fall, anytime an enemy unit falls back while they were within one inch of him, he can immediately make a shooting attack as if it was his shooting phase. That's pretty nice. Yeah. So, so that's a four pistol four too. So yeah, so it's pretty or good. The melt bomb. Or he could do a melt bomb if you try to get yeah. your tank out of the way. That's pretty nice. Yeah, him with a him with a melt bomb is pretty nasty. I yeah, so you could like charge like a enemy tank, and then the tank tries to fall back. Boom. Yeah. I've run some games where I ran three of them because I was against a horde army, and I got to tell you, he causes problems. So the the thing you said before, where he can't go more than twelve, it's just he can't nominate a unit for the charge that's more than twelve inches away. That's but correct. he can travel more than twelve inches. That's so if like he nominates like an orc unit. Right, like we were saying, he can, like, as long as a model of that unit is within twelve inches of him, he could charge up to, you know, eighteen inches and hit the back, the back line of that unit. You know what I mean? Carl, as long as that in the charge phase, do you still have to move that first model to the closest unit? No, no, nope. So, yep. So you could get around back and tag two units. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty great. That's pretty great. Yeah, like you could. Uh, yeah, you could like charge the unit you targeted and then pile in to another enemy unit that you couldn't target. You can't hit them, but you can still draw them into combat, force them to maybe fall back the next turn or something. You know. Right. Let's talk about the Calexus. The Calexus are the most rare assassin variety available to the Officio Assassinorum. As becoming Calexus requires that an individual be blessed or cursed, depending upon your uh, your belief system, with the Pariah Gene. That's capital P, Pariah Gene. It's a genetic mutation that grants the bearer no soul whatsoever, meaning that this person has no presence in the warp and is absolute anathema to psychers, meaning someone with the Pariah Gene drives psychers absolutely insane by their presence, because they have no kind of aura, if you will. They have no soul. They uh, they make psychers act in strange and uh, uh, much less powerful ways than they are used to, or at least unpredictable ways in some cases. This mu- this mutation is very rare, one in a million rare. Their lack of a soul is so strong that their gaze can all but reduce a psyker to a useless, convulsing, hungover mess of being that is incapable of anything other than running as fast as hell away from the Calexus, or just convulsing on the ground until insanity sets in. So their their very presence can, can really jack up a psyker. This negative psychic effect is horribly powerful against demons, Eldar, and heretical psychers of all human Varieties. That is the Calexus. My favorite thing about the Calexus model is that the amazing, it's the head. You know, it's that amazing kind of skull with the pointy kind of crown of psychic energy that comes behind their head. It's really great. They've got so, that weird, bizarre yeah, that is thing actually coming out the of the weapon. Top. Yeah, that is the weapon. That's right. Right. Let me tell you a couple of things about, let me back up and say, one of the things about somebody with the pariah gene, even if you're, in, everybody has some degree of psychic ability, that's your soul. Even if you're not a psyker, being around the pariah will agitate and aggravate you. There'll be something about that person that'll make you irritable and um, um, the um, the people I just don't book. like you, basically. Yes. Like, the yeah, like book does Beckwin. a great job describing Beckwin, yes. Yep. This, yeah, like, because uh, they make, uh, eventually they gather 
and spoiler alert, uh, they gather, uh, like, uh, Beckwin creates a, a distaff, right? right? Is what they call it? That's what they call it. Yeah, and it's a collection of pariahs. So I don't know how they were able to find that many, but it's pretty cool that they developed that sort of tool for them to use against. And they completely, like, level the battlefield when they're fighting against demons and stuff like that because it just completely shut them down. So, yeah, you know, most pariahs, I believe, end up in the Sisters of Silence. But in the era that we're in right now, they're just starting to recollect the Sisters of Silence. But we can save that for another. Let's talk about why this is my absolute favorite assassin. Absolute favorite. Nice. You heard it here first, yes. folks. It was not for a long time. It was on, he was on the bottom of my list. He shot to the top. There's a couple of things about him. And it's all about me learning to play better. He has a skill called Abomination. The model can never be targeted or affected by psychic powers in any way. Psychers that are within eight inch, 18 inches of him have to subtract two from psychic tests and deny the witch test that they take. You know, everybody knows I'm usually I'm either a Necron or a Custodes player. And Custodes have a deficiency against psychers. When I put this guy out there and I used to hide him, I don't anymore. He's on the battlefield at the beginning. He's in the front on the battlefield. That means you can't smite my guys. Right. Because he will be the closest and you can't target him. Right. Now, here's the other thing that makes him survive incredibly. This guy can run into a group of guys. I don't care who they are and tie them up. Why? Each time an enemy model attacks this model, the attacks are resolved as if the attacker had a ballistic skill, weapon skill of six plus. You're only hitting this guy on sixes. He still has that four up save, that four up and bone save, but you're only hitting on sixes. But this is the thing that I didn't really understand. Armor saves cannot be taken against close combat attacks made by this model. That means unless you have an invulnerable save, just oh. take your wounds. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and That's crazy. This, this model can target a character that is a psyker, even if it's not the closest enemy unit. And he has he has two weapons. He has psych-out grenades, um, which are uh, – it's only strength two, one damage. It's a grenade D3. But each time you roll a hit roll of six for this weapon when targeting a psyker or a daemon – the target suffers a mortal wound instead of the normal damage, yeah. which is pretty good. Yeah, the Grey Knights weapon, have those too. Yeah, yeah. his weapon is this animus speculum. That's the thing on his head. It has a range of 18 inches, assault D3, strength 5, minus 4 AP, 1 damage. But if the weapon changed this weapon's type to assault D6 if there are enemy psychers within 18 inches of the bearer. I had a game against an Eldar player, and I played with three of these guys in my front line, and they just moved forward. It was pretty good. So do they have a – they don't have an invul save, though, right? They all have a four-plus lightning reflexes in phone save. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Because this save is horrible. I mean, it's a six-up, right? So if you're playing yeah. them out front, he could just get, like, shredded by bolter fire if you're not careful. That's right. But you remember those that bolter fire is only hitting on sixes. Oh, uh, that's yeah. true. Yeah, now, but you know what you got to look out for? If you're playing the Necron player and they're marching up with Tesla and they're hitting on sixes and all those sixes are exploding. Yep. Ah, uh, yeah. But you're not going to run. I feel like you're not going to run too many of those against Necrons because they don't have psychers anyway, right? So you're probably just going to keep them back. That's correct. I played, I played some games when I got one, one of these guys in the backfield and what surprised my opponent was they just tied up his unit because the, the unit couldn't get rid of him. And every time, 
what happened was every time he swings, you know, you're not taking any saves. So chances are he swings. He's hitting on a two plus. He's swinging a wound. His uh, weapon, his um, his 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 strength is only four. But for average model, he's going to wound on a four, and then you're going to just remove the model. Calexis is pretty badass. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. Carlo, talk talk to us about the Vindicare. Vindicare. Uh, Vindicare are the snipers of the Officio Assassinorum. They are able to control their bodies to the point of inducing a state of hibernation. They use this ability to wait for the perfect shot. They can stay in the right place, waiting for the right shot for months or even years. Armed with the finest long-range shooting weapons that the Imperium can manufacture that fire the most advanced projectiles in the galaxy, a Vindicare knows how to shoot to kill and when it is the perfect time to do it. Their kills are often done at a time and place that will make a point, like killing a heretical priest while delivering a tainted message to his flock, or taking down a renegade planetary governor while in the middle of a speech. The Vindicare's prey will not see the shot coming. Their comrades will not know what happened, but the impact of the shot will be felt by more than the killed. It will echo into history. I love this. Uh, I love this idea of like a sniper waiting for an absurdly long time for the opportunity to shoot to present itself. So let me give everybody a warning. Everybody knows the Vindicare is a sniper. Okay, but in close combat, he's pretty lethal too. I've had people charge my Vindicares, even though I usually keep them in high places where they can't. And they feel like I can get to him, charge him, and tie him up so he can't shoot. But here's the problem with that. One, he does not have that many things going on, um, close combat, normal close combat. But he does have blind grenades. It's a grenade D6. And so... And if if you hit, it doesn't do any damage, but you have to subtract one from all of your hit rolls. He still has his four up in bone save. But here's the thing. On his next turn, he's still, in, if you're still in combat with him, and let's say he, you didn't get him, he has a pistol. And the pistol is just as effective as his, um, the pistol is just as effective as his rifle. So my experience is you charge my Vindicare, you get him. And so the next turn, he's probably going to kill you. And then the very next turn, he's back in action. So, so let's talk about a little bit about him. First of all, he can target characters. Um, and each time he makes a wound roll of six, his normal weapon is a heavy one, strength five, AP minus three, D3 damage. But it, and it always wounds infantry on a two plus. But if he rolls a six to wound... Instead of a D3, it's D6. And if you think about it, on a good roll, not too many characters can survive that. Plus, he has a stratagem. Um, I can't remember. I think it's called Headshot that allows him to shoot again. And if he shoots again, he's going to start rolling. Like I might start at a 3+, plus, then a 4+, plus, and each time he rolls, he's going to do a mortal wound. So your 5-plus uh, warlord, he's in danger. He has faultless aim. If he remains stationary, he hits on a two plus no matter what. Um, he has and, and the headshot. Let me read this headshot. After this model has made an attack with a ranged weapon, roll one d six if a model suffered damage from the attack but has not been slain. On a three plus, that model suffers more, one mortal wound. If that model is still not slain, you roll it again. On the four plus, he gets mortal wound. You get the you see, you, you guys see where this is going. 
Yeah, it's going to keep rolling. It's going to keep going. <laughs> Here's the other thing I like him. He's got a spy mask. Enemy models do not gain the bonus to their savings throws for being in cover against his ranged weapons. And he has a stealth suit. You subtract one from hit rolls made to him with ranged weapons that target him. But if he's in a terrain feature, okay, if this model is in or on a terrain feature, subtract two instead. This guy was my favorite model, um, my favorite assassin, until I really got into the Caluxus. But often in games where I am playing Chaos, a Chaos Army, and I know they, they've got several characters that are buffing, I'll bring three of these guys out. They're not that expensive. They are not, they're, they're 85 points each. And if you choose one of each four, you get the Execution of Force. It's a Vanguard detachment. It actually, don't no HQ, just all four of each type, you get a command point. So is there a different ammunition for his rifle? For, no, he doesn't have... For rifle? No. Okay, it's just no, the one, just just one, one shot. Okay, just one. Cool. He does ignore invul saves as well. That was like the one thing oh, with his oh, range attacks. I meant so. to say that. I apologize. And both of those... How dare cases, you, Vel, leave one little detail? <laughs> so he's, <laughs> his, both of his weapons are minus three and you're not taking an invul save. Right, yeah. I'm going to tell you something. I don't like to be that guy, but when I'm that guy... I like the confused look on my opponent's face as they're trying to figure out what dice they're going to roll. And they're thinking, i got to roll six pluses? got to be something. <laughs> this is my warlord. Yeah, yeah. The You kind of just mentioned it, Lavelle, but uh, down at the bottom of our description here in the show notes, I had some questions about how to bring them in your army. And uh, do you always bring all four? Can you talk a little bit about list construction with these guys in mind? Okay. I, correct me if I'm wrong. You can never bring more than three of a data sheet. So that is correct. You can never have five Vindicares. If you could, I would. But you can't. <laughs> so a couple of things. Unless you're playing open play. and Right. Open yeah, play and all bets are the, yeah. Maybe even some narrative. So <laughs> what will happen is when you build your list, you know, to put just one in, it's going to cost you a command point. Okay, so all four of them cost you 340 points, and you get a command point, and you get a whole bunch of utility. So if you think about it, if you're paying a 2,000-point army, you could build a 1,750-point list and drop these guys in there and be able to really have a – what they are is different tools, and that matters a lot. Like the Caluxus, you might not think he's really useful against a Tau army. Because the Tau don't have any psychers, except he's still only getting hit on sixes. He's still only getting hit on sixes, and you can jam people up with him. So he is pretty good. I like to decide if I have a specific gap. If I have an army that's going to be moving forward, and I know I need to eliminate specific characters. Um, a Death Guard army is a perfect example, even though they do have disgusting and resilient, because the Death Guard has a an army, and then they got these specific characters that buff people out and make them even harder. So I might be looking at a Vindicare in that particular situation. I like, um, if the points allow, I do go with the execution force. Now, if you could build an army with three execution forces, oh, wow. Um, let me get the work right on that. Now, now, now you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the execution force, which is all four of the models, and... And a Vanguard detachment. Gotcha. And not coincidentally... No, no HQ unit. 
not coincidentally, that was how they were packaged in the Assassinorum Execution Force boxed game, which was how we were first introduced to these models uh, uh, some time ago now. Did you ever, did, is that how you got your first batch of four? Did you buy the board game and did you play the board game Execution Force? Yes and yes. Now there is a guy whose name I won't mention, uh, Nicholas. He keeps telling me, "Is there a game you don't play?" But yes, <laughs> I have the Execution Box Force, and that was interesting. And I, I read it a little bit. Do you remember the um, Imperial Agents book? Yeah, I think they were first in there. I had some interest in there. I think I picked up one assassin there, and, and that's how I ended up. I think I picked up a Vindicare. That's how I first ended up with two Vindicares, and then. When Execution Force came out, I'm sorry, not when Execution Force came out, when they did the um, the index, they were pretty powerful in the index. When we got the index, and I went and started grabbing the models from there. Are they, still, then, are they still index only now? No, they came out with a, um, oh my, it was beautiful, White Dwarf. Oh, White okay. Dwarf came out with a whole spread. They were good before, but White Dwarf gave them stratagems that made them incredible. Gotcha. That makes more sense. Like one of the White Dwarf mini codexes, codices for the for the execution force. Yeah, I keep it in my bag whenever I go out to play. <laughs> yeah, that's strat that we're always talking about, where you can add, like, pay two CP to just add an assassin, like at the beginning of the game. Come came out of there. Yeah. So here's the thing. So. I do that all the time. And it might, I, I, I do it because I think it's really cheesy and I like it. What happens <laughs> is and when I go out to play and I'm playing an Imperial Army, in my case, there are all four assassins. Because with that strategy, I don't need to put that assassin in the army. I can just reserve 85 points. So if I'm playing a 2,000-point game, I build the list that's 1,915 points. I say, what do you got there? Okay. Here's my stratagem. I'm burning my two CPs, and you look like you could use a Kaluxus today. In the White Dwarf uh, mini codex, or even go back to last edition into that uh, Agents of the Imperium book, was there ever any synergy with the Inquisition? Was there ever any reason to take them, you know, and an Inquisitor at the same time? Because in the narrative, they're 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 often paired with different Inquisitors. So, all, so no, they they weren't there. But listen, the way it works is. There is the the high assassin, if you will, is act, actually has a seat. He has a seat on the um, the high lords of terror, and so the Inquisition can requisition anybody can requisition an assassin. And I think at one point in time, several people requisitioned assassins, and the assassins dropped on the planet and killed everybody, and then killed each other. <laughs> because they didn't well, coordinate oh and they my. said yeah, <laughs> we can't have this happen again Oops. once you usually once you deploy an assassin especially if it's an aversa they're going to kill until they die that's pretty nasty i like i like the way they fit into the lore and i like i now like the way they fit into the game I, I like them a lot i love i love the idea that they have such specialized abilities and such like narratively potent abilities uh, like the sniper being able to stay still for so long, like the polymorphine that the Calidus can take, etc. I think they all have a lot of flavor. So with that, we will take a short break. We will come back with a long overdue book review in From the Stacks. We'll be right back.
All right, welcome back. Section 5, From the Stacks. We've been talking about doing a book review for months. We read this book, uh, the three of us, a couple of months ago, so do bear with us if this is kind of a scatterbrained book review. I did kind of page through the book again today, but I can't say it helped jog my memory very much as to exactly what happened in this book. Um, it's taken us a long time to get this uh, this this episode together, so, uh, so bear with us if this is not uh, our finest uh, hour uh, during our book review. You were going to say something, Carlo? Yeah, I just wanted to ask, before we talk about the book at all, did you guys enjoy it? Yes or no? Yes. No. Yes? No? Yeah. I I, I didn't really care for it too much myself. Screw um, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that... That might play into how much I remember about the book. For sure. Yeah. Not much. <laughs> All right, so listen to this. I immediately, after I re- read the book, I did it on an um, um, uh, uh, audio book. I immediately got the next book, Adeptus Mechanicus. I did the same thing. And read, uh, yes. Now, let me tell you what I really liked about it. Well, first, let me intro the book. This is Scatarius by Rob Sanders. Now, Scatarius was published as an individual novel uh, some time ago um, in its own, you know, hardback. It was more recently republished in a uh, almost an omnibus. There's two novels in one, both by Rob Sanders, in a book called Adeptus Mechanicus. The first book is Scatarius, which is what we're going to talk about today. The second book is called Tech Priest, and it is it is a you know it is a duo of stories, meaning uh, uh, it is a sequel. Tech Tech Priest is a sequel to Scatarius. Both written by Rob Sanders. Uh, both obviously you know are all about the Adeptus Mechanicus and. As an Adeptus Mechanicus fan and player, I'm always keen to uh, to learn more about the lore, to learn more about uh, their famous battles, etc. Um, so I was really stoked to uh, to read this one and to share our uh, reading experiences with our listeners. Um, frankly, I do not care if this is a spoiler-free review. So for listeners who want to read this book spoil-free, uh, skip this section and come back after you've read the novels. Uh, but I think we're just going to dive in and talk about it whole hawk is that okay with you guys yeah great okay cool so uh, let me say let me, hawk or hog whole what's the expression whole hog right whole hog uh, is, is it ex- hawk or hog i don't know it sounds like it's hog hog whole hog yeah so, yeah. Oh, yeah cool uh, um, come on Tim. Let, let me let me read the uh, <laughs> let me let me read the synopsis here um i have two synopsi I just made up that word, which is two <laughs> synopsis. <laughs> so on the, on, the library, right. <laughs> on, the, on the Black Library website, it says about Scatarius, the Scatarii are the soldiers of the machine god, the tireless legions of the Adeptus Mechanicus. Holy warriors, they carry the word of the Omnissiah across the galaxy, destroying the impure machines of aliens and renegades and spearheading the quest for knowledge. A discovery of ancient technology sends a Scatarii legion, commanded by Alpha Primus Haldron 44 Stroika, into battle on a forge world overrun by chaos. When a cataclysm cuts him off from his tech priest, from his tech priest overseers, Stroika must rally his forces and rally his forces and battle corrupt machines and chaos pace. Man, I can't talk today. And chaos space marines, if he is to achieve victory. That is what Scatarius is all about. Um, Lavelle, you, I think you were the first to finish this book. I think you have the most positive opinions to talk about in this book, so why don't you start us off with your insights into Scatarius. Let me, this is a global statement. What I liked about the book 
was it demonstrated that the Warhammer 40K universe has so many stories to tell. And all of those stories aren't about grand battles or major um, events. This was something that was really contained to one Forge world, maybe two Forge worlds, and an overarching chaos plot. I like that the story didn't necessarily have great ramifications across the whole universe, but it was still a complete story. And I think that's that that's one of the things things about the 40k universe there are so many stories to be told within that universe now i did like the explanations i like the way they they help me understand how the mechanicus works how they they share information and you know i could draw some analogies or not analogies some parallels between what they do and what we know about computers and machines. And I could see how they took simple things and toward, turned it into almost a religion or lore. And that was, I like that. It does go uh, very deeply into how they communicate with one another, which I think is really interesting, into the new sphere, into that kind of internet, if you will, of knowledge that kind of surrounds them at all times. I did like that. I really did like the explanations of everything as they were approaching the Forge world in question, uh, kind of in their, you know, in, in their ships, in their Mechanicus arcs, I think they're called. Um, my problem with the book was that for all of its cool insight into how the Admech fight and are arranged and how they interact with each other and how they, you know, how the hierarchy works, I felt like all too often it just uh, kind of, it, it took a left turn into just constant, overly wrought descriptions of the fighting, of the battle scenes, right? Are you going to use the term like, bolter just, porn? I think there was a lot of bolter porn in this novel, Lavelle. Yeah, I got the it's sense not that... Not even just the battle scenes, though. It was like everything that they described was so boring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, <laughs> tell us how you really feel, Carlo. <laughs> okay. Uh, I will, actually. <laughs> um, so, I thought it, there were and to give the book some credit, there were some really exhilarating sequences, like the battle sequences where he's riding on the back of the dune crawler, and uh, you know where all, all the scenes where uh, Stryker towards the end of the book is kind of like um, independently making his way through the Magnaplex. I think it's called the Magnaplex Maximal, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. It's like the the forge, the demon forge. Um, because uh, at one point in the book, they assault this. Uh, I mean, the whole second half of the book, really, they assault this uh, this forge world, right? So that's uh, under control by the Iron Warrior. Or no, not the Iron Warriors, the um, Dark Mechanicus. And then the Iron Warriors stage an attack against it through, like, the... And that's, like, the big twist, right? So, um, but uh, it was cool to, you know, that sequence I thought was really cool. But just in between... Anytime he's getting somewhere, it was just like a really terrible road trip, right? Like the, the places you're going to are really fun, but then like like the drive there is just excruciating and you need to get out and stretch your legs. And that's the way I kind of felt with this book. I really had to like take a bunch of breaks. And I was listening to it on audiobook too. So it should have been, I know sometimes I could be more entertaining because you have, uh, you know, the, the, the narrator, um, and they can make things a little bit more fun sometimes, you know, or and sometimes it's better in your head, obviously, but um, it was, 
you know, the one thing I didn't realize until reading this this little snippet you put up here is that his name's like Stroika, right? S T R O I K A, and in the uh, audiobook they they pronounce it as Striker. Oh, right, almost. So I'm thinking the whole time he's Hauser and Forty Four Striker. No, did, did you feel that way, hmm. uh, Lavelle? I thought he, um, yeah, I, I, I think he did. He was saying, I can't, I can't remember. I think that's right. So, but, I, but can oh, I tell ahead. you, my favorite character was actually the, um, the, uh, the stalker. Yeah. Yeah, the Rust Stalker. Yeah. Yeah, the Rust Stalker. He was taking no nonsense. I'm just going to go over here and kill a bunch of people. Yes. The uh, the, oh, the you... reverence, the reverence that the Skatarii held for the elites of the Admech, I thought was pretty awesomely portrayed. They were definitely like standoffish, like a a group apart, you know, to be revered and feared and respected in the extreme. I like that that was a big focus of the of the of the Skatarius book, which I really did like. I also really liked Carlo. You brought it up that the the enemy, you know, the big capital E enemy here was kind of a, like the molten ball of magma in the middle of this forge world, right? It was a demon forge. There was a demon possessed ball of iron in the center of this world that was causing all this trouble, which I thought was kind of awesome. This notion of this almost like Unicrom from the Transformers movies, you know, like this big thing that is the enemy. I, I liked that. Yeah, I thought the all of the ideas they had in this book were really great. Um, unfortunately, it was kind of bogged down by, you know, the, some parts of the journey. But you know, I feel like you know the story was very unique and very interesting. Uh, especially, I like the beginning how the book started when they're hunting. I don't know what kind of creature that was. I know they were hunting orcs, right? right. And the orcs were corralling these animals, and I assume they were squigoths at first. But then I kind of as I listened on it it seemed to be something that they hadn't talked about and lore is not like a model on the board i don't know what you guys think they were i i couldn't tell i just thought they were some xenos race that need to be exterminated no (laughs) (laughs) but but let me in the beginning of the book sorry to interrupt just one thing about the beginning of the book i thought it was cool that um the doc the the doctrinas the programs the codes the canticles that are inloaded to the line forces of the adeptus mechanicus really do take control of them right there are scenes in this book where uh, stroika and his comrades can feel their humanity slipping away as it is replaced by the doctrinal imperatives that are sent to them by their tech priests. So I did like that, that it was literally almost a reprogramming of their personality that was happening in real time as the needs of the battle of the, of the battle uh, mandated that, right? And uh, alongside of that, the, the tech priests that were controlling the battle from the Mechanicus arc that was in orbit above the planet could get into the eyes and ears of anyone on the battlefield, Right, so there was a couple of chapters in this book where we were seeing things from the perspective of the tech priest in the Mechanicus arc, and he was jumping from, uh, from you know, Skatarii Vanguard to an infiltrator to a cataphron to whatever to see and to hear and to feel the battle through each individual fighter's eyes, which I thought was a neat way, narratively, to kind of get across the battlefield, um, and to, to kind of speak to the fact that these are humanoids, these are humans, right? But they have this ability to have their personality and their humanity kind of tweaked as needed uh, in the name of the battle, in the name of victory, etc. Sorry, Lamel, go on. Listen, 
I, one of the things that made this more understandable, and this is going to sound strange, I think a better um, novel that depicts them was actually Master of Mankind. Because in, Mas- in Master of Mankind, um, in that book, the Custodes was working alongside the, uh, the Adeptus Mechanicus and the Sisters of Silence. But the thing that made it really, really good was the... I guess the different political positioning of within the Adeptus Mechanicus and the, the way they, they move things. It was really, really good. And it did a better Master of Mankind, again, did a better job of explaining their perspective on replacing their body parts. Part of me, as I finished reading both of these books, I came away with the unfortunate sense that maybe these were short stories that were puffed up to be novels. Do you know what I mean? Like they're Like they just, they were filled past the point of them past their point of natural capacity to become a novel. Maybe it started as a smaller idea to talk about this battle against a, you know, events. Let me jump in here and say a couple of things. The the, the whole uh, premise of it maybe being a short story expanded yes, yes, or several short stories may be connected. One of the things that I had a problem with was um, a spoiler alert. What was the Iron Warriors trying to do? What was their ultimate goal to take over two forge worlds and just the way that th- th- this 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 device that they found was supposed to have worked that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, there was also a big plot hole in the one forge world getting connected to the other forge worlds so of it once one was corrupted the other one was definitely corrupted. I read that description like two or three times and I really didn't understand how we were supposed to take the leap and believe that because one was a bad place, the other one was definitely a bad place, and it would be too late for them already. It you know wound up being too late for the other forger, but I didn't let, get. The let me connection. try to ex- let me try to explain to you. So, spoiler alert: the bomb <laughs> that they discovered would vanquish the um, the warp. Okay, they had bled over into our into real space, but since you got to that place that you to deploy that bomb that bomb using the warp. It would then take that warp that you displaced with the bomb and funnel it through the warp space that you had just come through. And so it took the it, it didn't really get rid of the warp. It displaced the warp that was there and put it around the the forge world that they got. Oh. But now here's, here was the problem with that. When they got back there, everybody's corrupted. But what didn't make sense to me is they didn't even try to fight. Right. Yeah, that didn't make sense to me. Yeah. World. yeah, there were some easy ways out, I feel like, in the plot. Just kind of like, yeah, this, this, and then this, and this, and it wasn't... Well, like, the thing that didn't make any sense was if it was so easy for the Skatarius to take that planet. I mean, it wasn't easy, but, you know, they succeeded in taking that Forge World pretty handily. Like, how come the Iron Warriors couldn't just have done that themselves earlier? Like, why did they need to... Because the, their whole thing was they made this whole plan... The, the Iron Warriors planted the schemat, the uh, right. STC for the Imperial bomb on this ship, so the uh, Skatari would find it and use the bomb and assault the planet. But like, the Iron Warriors are chaos. Why can't they just like go there? You know what I mean? And do it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of issues. <laughs> yeah. the, um, I, as, I didn't think about that, Carlo. No, you're right. Yeah. And af- after I finished this book, I was reminded of a trilogy of books that I had mentioned, you know, a couple of seasons ago on this podcast. The uh, Gods of Mars, Priests of Mars, and 
I forget the third, but I believe those are written by Graham McNeil. And those are three big, you can tell they were like capital N novels, start to finish. It's an epic, uh, epic adventure. Three, it's totally worth reading if you're a fan of the uh, Adeptus Mechanicus. It's a much bigger investment in time. It is a bigger, uh, it's released as an omnibus now, I think. Uh, but it's a big, uh, it's a lot to get through, but it's, a, it's amazingly well written. And the descriptions of how a how a devotee of the Omnissiah goes through the ranks of becoming a you know a, if, I forget how what, what the different levels are but but from a from an underling basically to a tech priest are really well described in that trio of books by uh, Graham McNeil. So if you're into if you're into reading about the Admech uh, that that trio by Graham McNeil is is a really great. Uh, a really great read. A little bit deeper, a little bit more character, well-developed in terms of the characters than I think what we have here in Scatarius and Tech Priest. Let me let me just throw in, um, after I read this, I read The Solar War. Oh, yeah. Have you read that yet, Tim? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, some of these books and the way they're written, and in that move, in The Solar War, I ended up standing up and cheering for Horace. <laughs> because he he is a bad guy, but man, he's a genius. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, he get Taurus gets it done. Yeah, the Solar War was it was a great book. I have yet to read the second one, but the, the, right. the that first one was. Just is awesome. the second one out yet? It is. Uh, I think it is just out. I know they did the limited edition one, but I, I don't know if it's out in regular circulation. Yeah, yet. I'm not sure. Horace gets it done. That's yep. the best thing I can say about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. it was it was awesome. <laughs> so we will pick another book for next um, month's edition of Crew Shaken. Uh, we will have uh, read it more freq- more recently. It'll be fresher on our minds. Uh, so thank you for bearing with us for our inaugural From the Stacks section. Franos361. We forgot to talk about the servo skull. I love, I love servo skulls. Like I think the notion of these little floating heads, like anywhere, anywhere in the lore or anywhere in the illustrations associated with Warhammer 40k, like I'm, I love seeing servo skulls flying around and like doing stuff. I think it's awesome. I never realized how useful servo skulls could be. Yeah. Like, they're pretty badass, especially that one. And I was so sad when it sacrificed itself. Frenos three six one. Like, that was its name. Yeah, yeah. I was like, because it like it. Remember, it like hooks up to the system and tries to download the corrupt files from. Right. I think the other arch, um, Magus. Right. Yep. Is that what happens? So, uh, and then it like corrupts him, right? And that was like part of the Iron Warriors' plan. Yes. I think was yes. to right. But the rip Frenos three six one man. Yeah, having a having a MVP of the book. <laughs> having, <laughs> a, having a servo skull is pretty great. Yeah, that's all I'll say. All right, cool. We'll come right back. We'll wrap up the show. Stay with us. Thanks. Welcome back. Thank you for listening to episode 27 of Crew Shaken. Do excuse the delay in getting this episode out into the ether. We have been 
really busy, it seems like, in the last month. Everybody, you know, Carlo, Lavelle, and I have had a ton of stuff going on. It's been hard to get together, and we've gotten in some great games, but it's been hard to get together, uh, the three of us, uh, to record this podcast. But we, we, we got through it. We are going to uh, get it out by the uh, this first week of October here in 2019. Uh, but as always, let's wrap up the show with stuff that we have found in the hobby that our listeners might like to know about. I'm going to talk about white metal games in North Carolina. As far as I know, they are both a painting studio and a retail gaming store. I bring them up because they have a line of flocking products, meaning the little bits of grass or stone or sand or what have you that you can put on your bases to give them more of a realistic terrain look. They have a very inexpensive line of flocking that they they distribute in these very large, like, pint-sized takeout soup containers, you know. They're not expensive. Uh, The stuff looks really great. I got a couple of varieties of it at Nova, and I've been using it on bases for the last couple of weeks, and I think it looks awesome. The fact that it can be cheap and in such a great quantity and, you know, just as good a quality as some of the other more expensive stuff that I've used for flocking on bases, uh, I give it a big thumbs up. So that's flocking from White Metal Games in North Carolina. Carlo, what do you have for us for The Chosen? So this month, uh, I was, uh, I want to talk about a product I found at Nova from one of the vendors. Uh, it's called Squad Marks. Uh, you can get them on squadmarks.com. Uh, they're little, basically, base adapters that hook on the bottom of your base, whatever size they are. They make them in 25, 32, 40, 50, et cetera. Um, and for their larger bases, they have uh, adapters that can, like, hook, you know, two or three rings together. But what they have is, um, you know, it's a little base adapter. You clip it on, and you could paint the um, – it has two little uh, pieces that come up from – one on each side and you can paint them different colors so you can identify uh, your units more easily without making a permanent squad mark on the model. So for me, I picked them up because I was running um, 27 drones in my Talist. So I needed to be able to distinguish uh, the three units of nine from each other for um, like unit coherency purposes and stuff like that. And make sure I was removing the right drones from each unit. So uh, I picked up, you know, a pack of each of those. I think they were, you know, maybe five or $7 a pack or something of 10. And they come with a little, uh, magnet sticker. You can stick on the bottom so you can magnetize them to movement trays they sell, or you can uh, magnetize them to like, a, you know, if you have one of those carrying cases that I guess like frontline gaming sells them or knows, uh, table war, I think sells them. Those like glass ones, you know, the one that like Greg has, you can like put it on there kind of. So I, I, I actually, uh, I think they're a great idea. Um, and I think I'm going to pick up a few more for you know, some of my other armies too. They are on sale at squadmarks.com right now. You can get a 10-pack for looks like 7 bucks, which seems like not a bad deal. Or you can get 5 packs of 10 and get 15% off, or get 10 packs of 10 for 25% off. It's a neat idea. I like that. Great if you're playing like orcs or something too. I feel like they're great for any army really, but especially for armies where you're like, oh, there are a lot of horde armies out there nowadays. So, um, and you don't have to like permanently paint your base for them. So if you want to make, uh, like say you're running a unit of 10 now and you want to run a two units of five later, you could change that up. That's awesome. And there is also at their website, a free to download ITC score sheet. That's kind of cool. It has the different deployment cool. maps. It has secondaries listed for you and your opponent. It has uh, points per battle round. This is really cool. That's also at squadmarks.com. So do check them out. 
Yeah, really good call, Carlo. Nice. Lavelle, what do you have for us? Well, I have two things I want to go over. The first is a, a health care note that's important. And many of the people around us are suffering from this, and we need to talk about it. I'm talking about the black rage and the red thirst. If you have not encountered these two attributes on the table, it's incredible. I played a Blood Angels army, and I just was not prepared for a couple of things. Um, the extra attack and the six-up feel-no-pain when they charge – and the plus one, the wound in the fight phase, which made a really, really big difference. Um, what I want to call to attention, I knew I was playing a Blood Angels player and I knew what was, I was going to play. But I didn't until I got to the table read the codex. Now, I have been buying a lot of codex, even armies that I don't buy. And I have to tell, it's worth the read to understand who you're going to play. It's been really, really helpful. But, but the Black Rage and the Red Thirst, both in terms of the way they play in Blood Angel armies. I had played Blood Angels before, but I don't know why. That, that never became an issue. And when I saw them working together, it was really, really good. The other thing in that game, and this is really important, I love Blackstone Fortress. And so I have all the models and I have the game. And what I did that was different is I poured it over a Blackstone Fortress model into the game. I had 30 extra points, and it was a really, really good model. It's the Navigator model, wow. and he he can smite. He's only like 27 points or some number like that. But he can if he if if you're within 12 inches of you of him, he can smite a model that's not the closest unit. He can select the model to smite. Which is pretty. Which it was pretty, pretty handy. I got the smash captain with him. Um, that's so that's, that's great. It's cool that you incorporated something from a totally different box game. That's great. What what I want to recommend, and a lot of the white dwarfs, um, you might not play Blackstone Fortress, so you'll go right past it. Now I had played it against another uh, army that had the Amble, and that was a problem model. And I I just got that set. Take a look. Take the time to look at the White Dwarfs and look, you know, if you play one game, look at how those models can port into your game. And because it can really be a little bit of a, a, a the way I think of it, a tool, a little bit of an extra tool. I've got 30 extra points. Do I re-kit something out or do I add in one of these models? It did cost me a command point to add them in, but I thought it was worth it. He really did a good job. Take a look and read through the White Dwarfs at those Blackstone Fortress models and how they can come into play in your army. Tim, there is now um, uh, Combat Arena. You, you guys familiar with that game? Yes, that's the one for sale at Barnes & Noble. Right. I got that game, built the models, painted the models, and I was all well and good. And then I happened to notice in the box there are 40K rules for all of those models. Oh, nice. So you can get those models without getting the uh, Blackstone Fortress expansion. No, uh, they're different models in the Blackstone Fortress. Are they the really? Yes, they're, they're not the same models. Oh, I thought they were the same that were in the new, um, the big expansion, Escalation. Wow. No, they're different models, and they're really, really good. And they, they're little, like, there are models that can fit into, uh, there's a servitor, I'm pretty sure, that can fit into a Mechanicus army. Sweet. Uh, that's not an expensive boxed game from Barnes & Noble. Not at all. It's... As soon as it came out, I grabbed it. Yeah, I should get it. Put my Barnes and Noble membership to use. That gathers dust more often than not. Huh. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, don't they sell good the model kits at Barnes and Noble? They do. Hmm. They do. But every time, every time I'm there, I'm just like not in the mood, or I don't feel like I don't know. It's not in the mood. 
I know. Cool. Yeah, they have food there too. You can get like a. Do they give discounts on like croissants? Yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah. Right, right. I'm going to go there for lunch tomorrow. You just convinced me. I'll get the game and I'll get the game and go there for lunch. All right. So something happened to our the feed that goes from our web server to iTunes, where for some reason or another it was dropped by iTunes and then reacquired a couple hours later. But in the process of it getting dropped, I believe we lost all of our iTunes reviews from the iTunes website, which is also unfortunately where the podcasting app that I use, which is called uh, Podcast Addict, I think that's where Podcast Addict pulls reviews from. So on several platforms right now, our show has no reviews. So if you have left us a review in the past and feel like updating that review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from, now would be the time to do it because for some reason we have no reviews out there in the ether. If you, our listeners, would be so kind as to uh, revisit those reviews you may have left in the past, or give us a fresh one, or if you're just listening to the show for the first time, welcome to the party, and if you liked what you heard on this episode, check out our previous editions, and give us a review, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Crew Shaken. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will try to get our next episode out sooner rather than later. For the Crew Shaken Warhammer 40,000 podcast. I have been Tim. I'm Laval. And I'm Carlo. 